Thanks for listening to the Aspire Church podcast. Visit us at aspirejacks.org to access additional resources or to learn more about the ministries of Aspire Church. We are finishing up a series today that we started way back in June. So we've been going through the summer, this essential series where we've been looking through uh, the last eight weeks in particular at what are the core beliefs of Aspire Church San Marco. Not really just Aspire Church San Marco, but, but really when somebody says they're a follower of Jesus, what are those essential beliefs? What, what is necessary for me to believe to say that, yes, I, I am following Jesus? Uh, to frame this conversation each week, while the essential belief has been different, we've had a, a similar statement that we've made that's, that's framed our whole conversation. I'm going to ask you to say it with me. We put it on the screen. In essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty. And in all things, we aspire to love everyone always. Yes, so we just said, you know, even if you don't share our beliefs, maybe you've been checking us out for a while and you don't share what we believe, uh, our goal, our call, the command of Jesus on our life is, is to love you, is to love everyone, regardless of what they believe. But we do as a church have these essential beliefs that set us apart. And around those things, we have unity. And we have looked at seven of those, and today we're going to look at the last one. But before we get into the last one, I just want to remind you about the seventh one. So last week, um, we, we, we covered a brief review of 6,000 years of human history. And I'm so surprised you came back this week. But I'm glad you did. And here's what we said last week. We said that the church is God's plan and the front line of heaven's invasion into earth. That the church, that us, not this building, because uh, the church isn't a building, it's a body. Uh, Not this meeting, the church is a movement. It's not about a program, but, but you, me, us together, we collectively are God's plan. We are the manifest presence of God in the world today who's doing his work. So the first part of that's we're his plan. The second part of that statement is that we are heaven's invasion. We're the front line of heaven's invasion into earth. And that leads us to this week's essential that we're going to talk about essential number eight the last essential and that is just this we believe that jesus will come again and will make all things new that jesus who came god who took on flesh and came to live among us that he lived a sinless life he died a sacrificial death for our sins three days later god raised him from the dead he ascended back to heaven that he will come back to earth and when he does he is going to make all things new i don't know about you but i'm ready for that Because you look around the world today and you can see a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt, and and honestly, there's just nothing I can do about it. I'm powerless. Even with my best intentions and my best effort, it seems like I can't even make a dent in the brokenness of this world. Governments can't seem to do it. Different policies can't seem to do it. Different economic systems. I mean, we have tried and tried and tried, and we can't seem to fix what is broken in the world today. But the hope that the Christians has is that Jesus will keep his word, that he will return, and that when he does, he is going to make all things new. Now, When we talk about this, and by we I mean Christians, we typically do this in a way that sort of communicates something about Jesus' return um, that that may not be the most enticing picture for people who don't believe in Jesus. We, We sort of communicated that when Jesus comes back, he is coming back to do two primary things. A, he's going to evacuate his followers out of this place, and then B, he's going to eviscerate everything else. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not very inspiring to me right? That just doesn't sound very friendly. In fact, it reminds me of when I was a kid, maybe some of you heard this too, you know, just wait till your dad gets home. You ever heard that? I mean, this is kind of, this has kind of been the church's message about Jesus' return. Just wait till your dad gets home. I, I don't know about you, but that's just not very inspiring to me. That's not very hopeful to me. 
And yet this is so often how we have communicated. And here's the problem with that, is that that mentality doesn't really align with God's pattern of redemption that we see throughout the entire scripture. If you go all the way back to the garden when God created Adam and Eve and and when Adam and Eve sinned, it was Adam and Eve who moved away from God and, and were hiding. It was God who was pursuing Adam and Eve even in the middle midst of their sin. And then you go on through the entire Old Testament and you see this pattern played over and over again where we sin and our sin separates us from God and yet God, out of his enormous love, continues to pursue us and continues to pursue us. He does it through the story of Noah's Ark and he, he tells Noah to build this boat and protect his family. He preserves them through. God is pursuing. And then you see it through Abraham and Sarah where God takes this older couple past childbearing years and says, I'm going to give you a family and that family is going to become a, a great tribe and then a great nation and, and God's pursuing this redemption this redemptive plan as he continues just to pursue us and then you see it even in the New Testament as God himself takes on flesh and comes and lives among us and what did we do what did we do to our maker in that moment we executed him on a cross and with his death the payment for the sins of all the world was was satisfied and three days later God raised him from the dead And that Jesus is going to restore and make all things new. This is the pattern of redemption from the beginning all the way to the end. And here's why this matters. Because this is just a simple statement that whether you're a Christian, whether you believe the Bible or not, we all can see that this is true. And the statement is this. What I believe about the future will shape how I act in the present. Matter of fact, just say that with me. What I believe about the future will shape how I act in the present. This is just true. Because... You make decisions based on what you anticipate the future to be like, whether that's a financial decision involving your retirement or how you invest your money. What you think about the future will affect the way you act today when it comes to your money. It's true about relationships. It's true about your health. We make decisions on a regular basis today. We make decisions and act today based on what we believe about the future. Even if that belief doesn't prove to be true, whatever it is that we believe about the future does shape the way we act today. If that is true, and I think it is, then the way the church, the way Christians believe about the future, what we think about the future in Jesus' return, will change the way we act and affect the way we act here and now. There's a problem with the way the church has talked about Jesus' return in the past. It's created in many Christians an evacuation mentality. A mentality that says, really, to hell with this place. I mean, you've, you've met Christians like this, right? I mean, you've, we've all met Christians like this. Where, where they have this idea in mind that, you know, the whole idea is just to get out of here. Everything in this world is broken. Everything is falling apart. It's only going to get worse and worse. And when Jesus comes, he's going to wipe it all out. So you know what? I'm just going to focus less and less on what goes on here and more and more on what I, what I hope to be true in the future. And we just sort of set apart everything about this world and say it doesn't actually matter. This leads us to believe that our whole objective is just heaven when we die. That's what it means to be a Christian that I get to go to heaven when I die. It's just not very inspiring, nor does it really answer what a lot of people are are, are seeing and experiencing in this life today, the suffering, the pain, the difficulty. We act as if the gospel has no answer for what plagues the world today. And, And I'm here to tell you, the gospel is more than about heaven when you die. Jesus' ministry is more than about heaven when you die. Yes, heaven when you die, great. But it is about the pain and the suffering that goes on in this world today. And what I believe about the future will shape how I live today and how I act today. 
That people's pain and suffering in this life is real. You know this because you have suffered. You have endured pain. You've endured brokenness. You've endured heartache. And you know how real that suffering is. And as Christians, we need to recognize that the gospel, that Jesus, that the hope of Jesus has an answer for our very real and present suffering here today. There's another problem with this mentality, and that is it is a failure, I think, to understand the essence of what the resurrection is all about. You see, as Christians, we believe that Jesus died and God raised Jesus from the dead. It wasn't just a a spiritual existence apart from a physical reality. That somehow in Jesus, God was redeeming the created form of human beings and reuniting the spirit with that body, and that was resurrection. And it wasn't just something that was going to happen one time in one man 2,000 years ago. This is the hope. The Bible says that he is the first fruits, that he is the first one to rise from the dead. But the hope is that God is going to restore and redeem and renew all that he's created, including us. And I don't understand this. I mean, all the people who died, whether they're cremated or buried at sea or buried in the ground, whatever, God says the hope is that there's going to be a resurrection from the dead, that the physical reality that he created back in the garden and said, it is very good, is going to be good again as the spirit is reunited with flesh and God makes all things new again. You see, I think sometimes when we talk about heaven, Our idea is really influenced by the Saturday morning cartoons we watched. Now, some of you may remember Saturday morning cartoons. I mean, now you can kind of just get cartoons whenever you want, wherever you want. But back in the day, you had to get up on Saturday and turn on the TV and watch cartoons. That was the only way we were going to see them. And do you remember what what heaven was pictured as? There was always, you know, if you watch Bugs Bunny and anybody, you know, if Bugs ever got, you know, hit on the head or Wild E. Coyote and they went to heaven, it was this sort of, they kind of translucent, you could see through them and there was a white puffy cloud and there was a harp. I don't know about you, but that just doesn't sound very appealing to me. I mean, nothing against the harp. I like a good harp song like anybody else, but just the idea of sitting on a fluffy cloud and listening to the harp for all eternity just doesn't sound very appealing to me. This somehow, unfortunately, has become the way many Christians think about heaven. It's this caricature. But haven't there been times in your life when you have just in some subtle way felt like maybe you experienced a little bit of heaven on earth? I mean, there were just these times where the veil between heaven and earth grew so thin and it just felt as if in that moment, maybe it was just an instant. Maybe it was at the birth of a baby, or maybe it was, you know, as you were exchanging wedding vows, or maybe you saw a beautiful sunrise or a sunset, or you were on a vacation. There was just these mo- this moment where everything was just almost perfect in that moment. And, and you may have even said, this is heaven on earth. What do you mean by that? See, I think that is more the reality of heaven than any picture we get in a cartoon of a cloud and a harp. There's something about heaven that is tangible on earth even now in this existence. And that's not to deny the brokenness. It's not to deny the pain and the suffering and the injustice. It's not to deny that. But it is to say there are moments when the reality of heaven begins to bleed through in this existence. See, simply put, heaven is God's realm. Wherever God is, that is heaven. Heaven is not up there or down there or over there or somewhere. Heaven, Jesus said, heaven has come, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come and is among you. He was talking about a relationship with him. 
that the reality of heaven, which I would argue is so much real than what we call reality in this world, the reality of heaven is in the presence and in the spirit. Wherever God is, that is where heaven is. Now, people have made two errors when it comes to thinking about heaven or the afterlife or what comes next. And, and the two errors, they're opposite errors, but they're both wrong. The first error, which more secular people make, but, but quite honestly, a lot of Christians make this error too, is that we just don't ever think about what's next. We, we just act as if this life is all there is, right? Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. In other words, you know, I don't know about heaven. I don't understand what's happening next, but I know what's here and what's now. And so I'm going to just try to get as much pleasure and enjoyment out of this life as I can right here, right now. We very rarely ever think about heaven, talk about heaven. It doesn't really impact us because if we're honest, we're not sure if we even believe in it. The opposite error, though, and this is where many Christians fall, is we focus on heaven so much that we forget about the reality of this world. You've heard the phrase, so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. But it's this idea that says, you know what, nothing in this life matters. My whole objective is just to get out of here anyway, so I'm not really going to uh, focus on addressing suffering in the world or hunger or poverty or anything that's going on because ultimately we're going to leave here so what difference does it make these are the two opposite errors and the gospel should keep us from making either one of these mistakes you see on one hand the bible repeatedly points to the fact that you and i were created for more than just this the length of our biological life ecclesiastes says that god put eternity in your heart this is why there are times where you just feel like, surely, surely I'm not going to die. Surely my loved one's not going to die. Surely this is just going to go on forever. Why? Because God hardwired, you're created in the image of God. God is eternal. Therefore, eternity is, is hardwired inside of you. And so, so the Bible continually points us to, to say that we were made for more than this world. And, and even when you look around at this world, even if you don't share Christian beliefs or values, you look around and you say, well, that's not right. It's not right that there are people who who, you know, who, are, who don't have clean drinking water. or It's not right that people are trapped in sex trafficking. Or, or you look at all the world and you say, there are things that aren't right about this world. See, the Bible continually points us to this fact that we were made for something better than this place. That something isn't right here and we were made for something more. But the other thing the Bible does, it declares, it also declares that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That God created this world. And that ultimately, he will redeem what he has made and restore and renew it. That God has forever declared the value of our physical existence in the resurrection of Jesus. And this amazing claim that one day, everyone will be resurrected along with Jesus. That God is going to renew and restore all that he has created in the future. Now, this leads us to getting this idea, this picture of heaven as we see it described in the book of Revelation. If you have a Bible, open with me to Revelation chapter 21. We'll look at the first couple of verses in chapter 21, and then we'll skip to 22 and look at the first couple of verses in chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll put these verses on the screen. And if you don't own a print Bible, but would like one, there should be one in the rack in front of you. Feel free to take that as our gift to you. Now, let me set this up for you. As we think about the hope of heaven, what does this look like? For us today. Let me just set this up for you because when you think about Revelation, you might think about lots of different things, lots of different Hollywood kind of images. Uh, Revelation is what is known as uh, apocalyptic literature. 
And uh, apocalyptic literature is really, really difficult to interpret and understand. In fact, people for thousands of years have been arguing and debating and splitting churches over how to interpret the book of Revelation. It, it juxtaposes unrelated metaphors. For example, there's a city that's in a dress. There's a lamb sitting on a throne. I mean, there's all kinds of imagery and metaphors that people have argued about the meaning of over and over. And I'm not going to try to resolve any of that today because ultimately, here's what I believe about the book of Revelation. It is not a code book with secrets that we need to figure out. The, the message of Revelation is that there is hope and a point to human history. The, the message of Revelation is that you can have confidence in the future and what you believe about the future should, act, should affect the way that you act and are behaving today. That's the point of Revelation. That what I believe about the future will shape how I act in the present. Now, this was the message that John was trying to communicate to some believers. See, the, the church, the message of the gospel had spread pretty rapidly. And the church had grown. Not because there were buildings. There were no buildings. There were no programs. There were no meetings or professional clergy. None of that. But the message of the gospel was spreading through the church. And it was spreading around the Roman Empire. And it was upsetting the political establishment. It was upsetting the religious establishment. And so you had both the Roman government and the Jewish leaders who were, trying to, who were just trying to, to quench the fires that the church was lighting. They were trying to douse the flames of the church and doing anything they could to put it out. John, by this point, Jesus' disciple, is a very old man. And he sees what's happening. He sees the suffering that is going on among the people who are followers of Jesus. And as he is writing this vision that God has given them, he is writing this to the church because he understands what is about to happen. The emperor Domitian was about to begin the largest persecution that Christians had seen to that time. And John wanted the hope of heaven, the hope of what was to come, the hope of Jesus' return to affect the way these believers lived through the very real trials they were facing right then. He wanted, to, he wanted them to understand that they could believe something about the future that would empower them to endure the suffering that they face today. Fast forward 2,000 years, the year 2023, and I don't know what you're facing, but some of you are facing really difficult times. You're facing challenges. You don't know what the future holds. You have no idea what you face with health-wise, with finances, with relationships. There are all kinds of ways that you are experiencing difficulties. Not to mention you look at the world around us and sometimes it just seems like the whole place is on fire. And you think, what's the future going to be for my kids, for my grandkids, my great-grandkids? What's it going to be? See, we find ourselves today in a very similar situation to those Christians in the first century to whom John was writing. And what is he wanting them to understand? He's wanting them to have faith and confidence to know that what they believe about the future would shape how they act today. And he wants us to know that too. So I just want to share with you a few things that John wants to assure the church about when it comes to the future. The first thing, if you have a Bible, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3, heaven will come to us. Heaven will come to us. Here's what it says in Revelation 21, 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now this, this image here of a new heaven and a new earth is, is some of your translations may say the old order of things has passed away. That's actually a pretty good translation. Because what it's talking about is here, there has been this separation between heaven and earth. We've talked about this throughout this series. That our sin created a separation 
between our bios, our biology, our physical life, and the spiritual life, the zoe that was in us. It wasn't just about me and you. It was also about all of creation, that this was separated. And what John is saying is he saw a new heaven and a new earth. In other words, something is happening here that is bringing a new order to things. He goes on and he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming, what was the direction there? Down. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is where? With men. The dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen, our salvation isn't a result of escaping earth to go to heaven. Our salvation is the reality that heaven is being pulled down to earth. That's the hope of the Christian message. When Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he was giving us a picture of the ultimate reality. When earth and heaven would no longer be divided, when spirit and biology would no longer be divided by sin, but everything would be reunited as God had intended it to be at the beginning in the creation. That Jesus, who God in flesh came down and dwelt among us, died, was raised from the dead, ascended back to heaven, that Jesus is in fact going to return to earth. And when he returns, he is pulling heaven and earth together as it was intended to be. What began in the garden, if you go back all the way back to the beginning, what began in the garden as God's presence with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, in this perfect creation, what began there actually ends in this city that's described in Revelation chapter 22. That, that God is moving downtown where all the people are. That God is coming to be among his people once again. That he is going to complete what he has started. And this raises a very important question for the church today, for you and for me. Are you preparing the way for Jesus' return? Are you preparing earth for the reality of heaven? By sharing the hope of the gospel, by seeking his kingdom first, by seeking to be holy as he is holy, you see, this is the great mission that he has given us. Whether that mission is somebody who's traveling overseas and going into an unreached people group to prepare the way, prepare the arrival of heaven on earth. Whether this is somebody who is going to Queens, New York and planting a church in a, in a city, in a part of the city where there's no gospel witness. Whether that's just giving, giving school supplies to a child in need. You see, there are things that we're called to do as a church, as we're called to do as followers of Jesus, that my daily life, my daily mission is to live every day in every way to prepare earth for the reality of heaven's invasion. And it's not just about out there. It's also about in here. Because if I'm honest, there are lots of things in my own life that aren't prepared for heaven right now. Ways of thinking, ways of acting, beliefs, all kinds of things in me that aren't ready for, the, for heaven's invasion of earth. And so I live my life every day following Jesus, seeking to prepare myself, prepare my family, prepare our church, prepare this community, ultimately to follow Jesus wherever he would lead me, to prepare the way for heaven's invasion into earth. That is the great mission of the church. 
But the church will never live that reality. You will never live out that mission if all you are trying to do is get to heaven when you die. That is too small a vision. That is not a great enough hope. The hope isn't heaven when I die. The hope is that Jesus will return and make all things new. And he is doing that day by day through his church. And his church is not a building. His church is not a meeting. His church is not a program. You are his church. What are you going to do in your workplace tomorrow to better prepare earth for heaven? What are you going to do in your school when school starts here in a few weeks to prepare earth for heaven. You see, when Jesus taught us to prepare, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he is inviting us to a way to live that prayer out. It's not just something we say. It's a way of living. Are you preparing the way for Jesus' return? The second thing that Paul, that John gives us from this passage in Revelation 21 is that all that is divided will be reunited. Now, the first place he said this is at the end of verse 1, where he said, there is no longer any sea. And what is the primary thing that in John's mind, 2,000 years ago, that this, why would there be no sea in this new heaven and new earth? Well, the main reason is because the sea is what separated people. Like, we take it for granted today that you can get anywhere you want in the world in just a few hours, but back then, the sea divided people, and it was very few people who could, who could ever travel across the sea. It was very dangerous. Only a few people could ever, could ever do it. And so this idea that there's no longer any sea is, is that there's no longer any division. And it's, it's, it, it's speaking to the reality of heaven and earth that he's saying this reality that we live in today, this tension that we live in today, where there is a separation of heaven and earth, that yes, every now and then we feel heaven on earth, but it's just fleeting. It's very temporary. But there is a separation. What John is saying is that there is coming a day where there will be no separation between heaven and earth. Where all that is gone. So what is new about heaven and earth? What is new about it is that the two are brought back together with no division. Listen to what he says in verse 4 through 6. Because it's not just about this external reality of heaven and earth. It, it also has to do with us. Listen to what he says in verse 4 through 6. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now think about this. What causes so many of our tears and so much of our pain? Isn't it separation? Isn't it death? Isn't it divorce? Isn't it broken relationships? Isn't it that family member who had that terrible addiction and, and you just can't, that addiction is creating a wedge in your family and in your life. Isn't it what separates us that causes us to weep and to cry? And what John is saying is that God is going to wipe every tear and there won't be any more of those things that separate us. He who was seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, it is done. It doesn't feel done to me. It doesn't feel done to me because chances are pretty good that I'm probably going to do a few more funerals. Chances are pretty good that I'm going to get messages back from people who diagnosis as cancer. Chances are pretty good that some of the marriages that are in counseling are going to end in the divorce court. Chances are pretty good that division is going to continue. 
So when John says it is done, what is he talking about? He's talking about this hope that he has for the future, that he has seen with his eyes as God has given this revelation. That everything as it will be, we can have confidence in living today in such a way that we know these things that divide us are not forever. They're temporary. It is done, he says. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. That the hope of heaven is that just as there will no longer be any division between heaven and earth, so there will not be division among us. Broken relationships, death, sorrow, sickness, all the things that divide us will be erased. Which leads me to ask this question. Are you a divider or a uniter? Are you a divider or a uniter? Are you actively engaged in a ministry of reconciliation? Are there broken relationships right now that you need to mend? Is there division that you need to help overcome? See, this is the great call of the church to be ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation. That's what the Apostle Paul said. It's a fancy way of saying, be a uniter. That the church needs to be a part of bringing things back together. We can't do it perfectly. But the church needs to be a part of saving marriages. The per- church needs to be a part of offering comfort to those who have suffered death and loss. That the church is a part of bringing things together. Yes, we can't do it fully and completely in our own. But we have this hope that Jesus will come and there will be a day where there is no more division, where there is no more separation, where there is no more sorrow or tears. But how can I hope to live in that reality if I refuse to make that reality true right now in my life? If I intentionally harboring division or hatred towards somebody, how, how am I fit for the reality of heaven today if I'm not trying to live that out in my life day by day right now? Are you a uniter? Are you a divider? You see, the difference between heaven when I die and Jesus, the, the, the reality that Jesus is going to bring heaven to earth is that I am working right now and every day to do all I can to prepare myself in this place for the reality of heaven by being a uniter and not a divider. And finally, in Revelation 22, 1 through 5, John gives us this hope that all that is broken will be healed. All that is broken will be healed. Listen to what he said in Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street in the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now it's interesting, a little Bible trivia for you here. The tree of life appears here in Revelation 22 at the end of your Bible, and it only appears one other place in the Bible. And that's way back at the beginning. Do you remember the story? See, we talk a lot about the tree of knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve weren't supposed to eat from, but there was another tree God mentioned that they could eat from. It was the tree of life. And it was in the garden. Adam and Eve didn't eat from that tree. Instead, they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we don't hear anything else about the tree of life until you get all the way to the end of your Bible in Revelation 22, and there it is again. And what does it do? And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. 
The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. See, what John is trying the best he can with the limitations of human language is to show you this picture of what God is ultimately doing. As heaven and earth are reunited, as God's dwelling place is once again with us, as all that is divided is restored, as all that is broken is healed, as everything is made as it was meant to be in the beginning. This is the great hope of the gospel. This is the great hope that Jesus will return and when he does, he will make all things new. And in the meantime, his church is a part of heaven's invasion into earth. That we are called to go about and be about his business of ushering heaven to earth everywhere we can. And this gives us hope for the future. This should change the way we live today. Which leads me to the third question. Are you facing the future with confidence in the one who holds the future? Are you facing the future with confidence in the one who holds the future? Notice I'm not asking you if you have confidence about the future. I don't. Maybe you don't. And maybe you've got good reason. Maybe there's a, a looming financial crisis that you're facing or a relationship disaster or a health crisis. Maybe there's something in the future that you do not find comforting at all. The question is not, do you have confidence in the future? But are you facing that uncertain future with confidence in the one who holds the future? That he says, ultimately, he is going to make it all right. It's not, it might not be good. But he is going to use it for good as he accomplishes his greatest, greater purposes. Do you have confidence in the one who holds the future? See, John was writing to a people who were about to experience terrible persecution and suffering. And what did he want them to know? He wanted them to know that what they believed about the future could shape the way they endured the suffering they were facing right then. And all you need to prove that their hope was justified is to examine history. How do we know that their hope, those hopes of those Christians in the first century was justified? Well, part of the reason we know their hope was justified is because you and I are sitting here today. The existence of the church today is evidence that they had a hope, they were justified in their hope for the future. Because do you think, do you think that those Christians in the first century who were being burned alive and watching their loved ones die, who were hiding, who were, who were being persecuted, under the hands of not just the Roman government, but their own Jewish leaders, do you think that they would have imagined that 2,000 years later, the message of the gospel would be all around the world? And yet here it is. The very center of authority in that day and age who was, who was executing this persecution, the city of Rome, today there are more crosses in Rome than anywhere else in the world. You see, they were justified to hope in the future. They didn't, have a, they didn't have a lot to look forward to in their suffering. But what they knew is they had confidence in the one who held the future. And they endured the difficulties that they were facing because they had full confidence in God's promise and provision that he would make all things new. That there would be a day when all would be reunited. So when persecution came, something sustained them. 
And the persecuted sang and they prayed for their persecutors. When the plagues came, the Christians stayed in the cities and cared for the sick. Why? Because they were trying to usher the reality of heaven into earth and they weren't worried about what might happen to them because they had full confidence in the one who held the future and the message of the gospel exploded around the world as a result because they had complete confidence in Jesus. And because what I believe about the future will shape how I act in the present. See, church, if we want to have the same impact that the first century church had, we had better reframe how we think about the future. What we think it means when Jesus is going to return, what we mean when we talk about heaven. Now, my guess is that none of you will probably be thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. But here's what I do know. You will face struggles. You will face cancer diagnoses the death of loved ones, your own mortality. You will face divorce and division and economic downturn. You're going to face all of that. We're going to continue to face injustice and poverty in the world around us. But the question is, what is our hope when we're facing those things? Because God hasn't changed God still holds the future in his hands with full confidence. What you believe about the future will shape how you face those trials, not if they come, but when they come. But come on. Don't you sometimes feel like, how much longer, Lord? Like, at the end of Revelation, John, some of the final words in your Bible is John just crying out, but come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is not a denial of the suffering and the trials in this world. It is the reality that there are sufferers and trials. And for 2,000 years, the church has been crying out, how much longer, Jesus? How much longer will you wait? It was the cry of the persecuted church since the time of Stephen. But it's our cry today. The disciples asked Jesus, how much longer, Jesus? When will these things happen? And listen to what he said to them. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let me just take the liberty of doing a Gary Weber translation. Church, when you do and fulfill what I've called you to do, then the end will come. Then I will return. Then I will heal all that is broken. I will reunite all that is divided. And the reality of heaven and earth will once again be united and all things will be made right. You see, in a very real way, church, this depends on us as the church to live out the mission of Christ in the world today. It's not enough. It's not a big enough vision for us just to long for heaven when we die. We need to usher the reality of heaven on earth right here and right now. You have the power to make a difference as you live the gospel out, as you reach out to your community, as you go to your workplace, as you travel the globe. May the reality of heaven come to earth and may it come quickly. I'm going to ask you to pray with me.
Maybe today you are longing for the hope of heaven. And I just want to encourage you, continue to place your confidence in the one who holds the future in his hands. There could be uncertainty and will likely be uncertainty and suffering and all kinds of things as we continue to live in this fractured and divided world. But our hope is not in in the world as it is, but is in the world as it will be, as Jesus makes all things new. Maybe today you would put your faith and trust in him. Maybe for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, today you would just say, I I need to get busy. I need to get busy in my own heart preparing the way for heaven, heaven's invasion of earth. I need to get busy in my own family. I need to to engage in in the, the work of the church in the world today as we seek to prepare earth for heaven's invasion. And then, and only then, will the end come. How we long for that day. But may we never, may we never so long for it that we become apathetic here and now. Lord God, we come to you as your church. Lord, with all the uncertainty that we face, give us a greater confidence in you that you hold the future. Lord, for those who are here today who may have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Father, I pray that today might be the day they would do that. Lord, would you move in your church? Would you help remind us of the great mission you've given us to be the front line of heaven's invasion to earth? May our hope be for Jesus' return, for that day when all things are made new. But until then, God, may we be found faithful in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Aspire Church Podcast. If what you've heard has been helpful, please subscribe and rate our podcast and share it with a friend. If you'd like to support the ministry of Aspire Church or want someone to contact you personally, please visit our website at aspirejacks.org.